it's time to uh, to jump into God's word together. Um, uh, thank you, gentlemen, for those those prayers, leading us in those prayers. Um, let's just bow our hearts one more time, shall we, as we we come to God's word. Well, Father, just humble us now. Uh, Lord, just take away any uh, preconceived ideas, any attitudes, any influence of the world that would shape our thinking. Lord, not in accordance with your world, uh, your word, but in a, accordance with the way the things of this world are. Lord, we just want to understand spiritually. And Lord, we recognize that the natural man doesn't receive the things of the Spirit of God. So Lord, help us, Lord, as we look at your word this morning. Um, to be strengthened, challenged, encouraged, blessed, and Lord, most importantly, that we would grow in knowledge and in grace and in our love for Jesus Christ. We give you this time now for his glory. Amen. Please turn with me to First Peter chapter 3. Now, we've been going through this this study. It's a, it's a wonderful um, book, so much instruction that's practical. Um, that really speaks about uh, our everyday living as Christians. We are going to come into a, a section this morning, um, just really building on uh, what we'd seen previously. The chapter is going to carry on this theme, uh, the second section of the book, really looking at the believer's life. But is in the light of this sevenfold position, that Peter has brought our attention to. So in other words, we should be living, as Peter's saying, according to these things in this particular way, because we are a chosen generation, number one. Because we're a royal priesthood, number two. The third thing is that we're a holy nation. Now, on its own, those three are enough to say, hang on, we've been given so much. We've been exalted and placed in a position that we could never have earned, we don't deserve. And therefore... Our lives should be different. It's very much what Paul says in Romans 12, uh, the first two verses there, that we should be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And he goes on and says that it is our reasonable service. The Greek word there is the word from which we get logical. It's logical that given all that we've been given, or in, in the light of all that we've been given, that our lives are now different. And this is what Peter is now saying. We're also a peculiar people. Now, that doesn't mean we're odd. I mean, some of us might be odd, but that's not what it's saying. What it's saying is that we are set apart. We, we are classed differently than the people of this world by God's grace. And that we are to show forth the praises of him. Now, that's not so much a, a, an admonition as a privilege. You know, the, the priests in Israel recognized they were in a very privileged position to be the ones to offer up sacrifices to the Lord. And we, as that kingdom of priests and so on, are in the same position that you and I have been chosen to come before the king of kings and to worship and to praise him. You know, if somebody were chosen to work for the royal family, they would consider that a very honored and privileged position. And that's what they say. We have been chosen to show forth the praises of him. Again, it just speaks of this uh, calling we have. And we've been called out of darkness. Throughout scripture, we have many um, references to the fact that we were once dead in trespasses and sins, as we read in the book of Ephesians. But God, who is rich in his kindness and his love, and his mercy, he, he's done this incredible work. And we are no longer in darkness. We are no longer in a place where we don't understand God's plan and God's purpose. And we've been called not just out of that, but we've been called into his marvellous light. It, it would be great if it was just that we've been called out of darkness. 
But we've been called not just out of darkness, but then in called additionally into his light, to walk in his light. As we start to unwrap these things in our hearts and minds, it should hopefully trigger in us exactly what Peter's saying, that there has to be a change. If we are born again of the Spirit of God, our lives as believers must be different. And this is what Peter's telling us. And then the third section of the book, which really when we get to chapter five, the final chapter we'll look at there, is the service, the work that we do, that which we um, commit to, our time, the things we're devoted to in this current season, uh, in the light of the coming chief shepherd, that Jesus is returning. So how should that impact the things that we do? But the section again that we're in this morning, we're going to continue, is really much looking at uh, how we are uh, as believers and so on. So what we're going to see as we go into this section this morning is that Peter's going to build on the previous admonitions regarding submission. Now, he's already spoken about being submissive to the government, and we looked at that last time. And as Christians, that really should, as we said last time, impact the way we have our uh, or, or, or the, the political views that we have. Um, you know, it, it does frustrate me that we hear so much in the media and, you know, opposition parties always try to tear down the government. You know, that's not the position that we should be in as Christians. It doesn't mean we have to agree with everything the government does. But we are to pray for those that are in positions of authority. We're to pray for our leaders. We're to support them. And we are to um, follow that which they give us, the laws, the rules that are placed for our protection uh, as much as anything. And, of course, we've said before that that which is not in accord with God's word, well, then, of course, God's word always takes precedent. The other area that Peter built on last time was that we're to be submissive to employers, so um, in the context that Peter gives, he speaks about uh, slaves and masters. But strictly speaking, it's not just a, a slave as maybe we would typically associate that word. But it's somebody who is working for a master. So very much for us is the employer-employee relationship. And it speaks of the way that we should act towards our employers. Uh, and particularly, it highlights, to unjust employers. So we might have a boss who is not particularly good, uh, not particularly kind, maybe says things that are not fair, maybe asks us to do things that really, you know, uh, it, it doesn't seem reasonable. It's not a reasonable request. You know, and it, Peter speaks about our attitude to those things. Now, we're going to build on all that because Peter is now going to turn his attention to marriage. Now, this is such a fundamental part of uh, our lives, uh, the, the, the Christian church is so much a part of the world. And of course, the world has absolutely messed up the idea of marriage. It's completely lost sight of really what marriage is. You know, sadly, many Christians have also followed so much of the world's propaganda and have lost sight of really what marriage is all about. Paul, in the book of Ephesians, tells us that marriage is actually given as a model to tell us about Christ's relationship with his bride, with his church. That's the reason we have marriage. It's not just for convenience. It's not just to produce the next generation. Marriage is there primarily to tell us, to teach us about Christ's relationship with his church. The love, the unconditional love that he has for his bride. That he was willing to enter into our world and to die 
to save, to rescue his bride, to give his life for his bride. And obviously it speaks about the response of his bride, that his bride should be without spot, without blemish and so on. And that's what Ephesians tells us. So we'll talk about more as we go through these things this morning. But this is such a fundamental area. And look, this doesn't just apply if you're married. Of course, this is the context that he's speaking to those who are married. But the principles here are life principles that we should understand. And, you know, for, for most people, even if this morning you're not married, then there's a, a, a possibility that you will at some point be married. Now, we start the, the chapter with this uh, opening verse where Paul says likewise so we, we've got to understand what he's building on he's saying just as he's already admonished us to submit to the government to submit to masters to su- submit to employers in the same way he's saying now he's going to address this next section to wives now let me just first of all tell you up front we are given at the beginning of this chapter six verses of instruction and admonition for wives now bear in mind that peter was married peter had a wife in fact peter took his wife with him on his various travels on the the missionary journeys and so on that he he made um so peter understood what it was like to be married peter understood what it was like to have a wife involved with him in ministry Peter wasn't just away from home and therefore wrote these things thinking he could get away with them. Now, these are instructions. Bear in mind, all the scripture we have is given by inspiration of God. It's there that we may be complete, thoroughly furnished is the way it's put in the in the King James translation. That means if, if a house is thoroughly furnished, it's got everything you need. That's what our lives should be. And this instruction that we're given this morning is so that our lives may be complete. Now, as I say, the wives are given six verses of instruction. And then we get on to verse 7, and we find the men are just given one verse. And you have to wonder whether, as Peter's writing this, his wife says, you know, keep it simple for the men, because they're not going to really grasp too much. So, you know, the the wives, they can handle a bit more. They'll be able to understand. But the men maybe just just really keep it simple. So we'll look at the men in a minute. We'll get on to that when we get to verse 7. Let's look at what Peter says for the wives. Now, again, likewise, in the way that... We've said you submit to government, you submit to uh, authority, to power, and so on. So he's saying, wives, be in subjection to your own husbands. And this is the reason that he tells us this, that if any obey not the word, now that could be that they're not saved. It could be that they haven't come to that place of understanding the importance of God's word. Bear in mind the word is Christ in the is is the christ is the word made flesh okay so speaking of commitment to jesus christ ultimately but you know you may have even a christian husband who's not committed to christ fully who may be living very much as somebody in the world so whatever the context whether saved unsaved a christian wife is to submit to the husband so that if any obey not the word they also may without the word without being submissive to jesus without coming to that place of acknowledging or following him they might be won by the conversation of their wives okay so it's saying they might be brought into a place of submitting to jesus which is the ultimate goal the ultimate aim they might be brought to that place by the lifestyle okay that's what the word conversation we've said this a number of times recently in king james conversation is speaking of the way we conduct ourselves the lifestyle we have peter's used this word already a number of times about our conversation and so on 
So it's saying that the, the, the lifestyle of the wives should be such that it wins over the unbelieving or the maybe backsliding or the husbands that just haven't yet got it. Okay. So it's instructing the, the wives to do that. Now, a couple of things just to highlight the uh, Greek here that's used is uh, a command. It's actually a command that's given. This isn't just a suggestion. Peter's very firm in what he's saying here. And by the way, you know, we, we live in a world now that is so uh, given over to political correctness. You know, nobody's allowed to say anything that may offend somebody because it's just, just not, not on. You know, and of course, we, we live in a world that um, is uh, brainwashed into this whole um, women's liberation type of mindset, which the more you start to understand it, the more you realize how insidious that is. You know, it, it undermines a woman's position. Uh, and we'll talk a bit more on some of these things. Go back before we carry on with this. Let's just go back in our minds and our hearts to Genesis. In the beginning, God created man adam was perfect male and female in one okay when we, we read in genesis um it's very clear let me just go to to the account we have in scripture and look at the wording <clears throat> so this is on the the sixth day of creation uh, and god says is verse 26 of genesis 1 let us make man in our image god is speaking of father son and holy spirit okay that's the the context father son and holy spirit uh, are the, the 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 working this work of creation together let us make man in our image after our likeness now god of course is the father jesus represents the body and of course then the spirit and we are made of body soul and spirit so this is the same kind of idea that God is saying. So we've been made in the likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, over uh, every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So, so we read, so God made man in his own image. Now, people tend to think without studying scripture that God just makes man and woman, and that's what this is referring to. But the Greek is very specific, or sorry, the Hebrew correction in, in, uh, in Genesis is very specific. It says, and in the image of God created he him. Okay, uh, the word in the Hebrew is eth, and it means literally him. And it says, male and female created he him. Now, the word in the, our translation is created he them. So it implies male and female. But actually, what the text is saying is that God made man male and female. The, the Adam was created as perfect man, perfect woman, as it were, all in the one body. And then it reiterates in verse 28. God blessed, and the word is translated them, but the word in the, the Hebrew, again, it's the same word. Uh, the word, uh, it says, and God blessed effectively him, and God said unto him, be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth, subdue it, uh, have dominion over the fish, and so on, and it goes on. So God made Adam complete as perfect male and perfect female. Now, we then get on to the situation in chapter 2, and we find the, the problem that we have, that Adam uh, was called to name all the animals. And, of course, the hippopotamus comes along, and he thinks, 
hippopotamus great name and there's of course a male and there's a female and then the giraffe and there's a male and there's a female you know and the the crocodiles the alligators the elephants and all the different creatures that that god brings along and adam gives them all names but of course god doesn't just do that because he was a bit busy that day and he needed adam to adam to help him out with some admin God is getting Adam to do something so that Adam will realize, Adam will recognize that there's a difference. And so we understand that Adam realized that all, all these creatures exist, but there was no help meet suitable to Adam. I'm just going to pick up from verse 18 of chapter 2. And the Lord said, God said, uh, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make a help meet for him. And out of the ground, the Lord formed every beast of the field and so on. And these creatures are brought to, brought to Adam and he gives them all names in verse 20. And in verse 20, oh, verse 20, let me read that again. And Adam gave names to all the cattle and to the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a help meet for him. You know, the, the creatures weren't going to be that co-respondent for Adam, somebody he could talk to bounce ideas off share with you know the, the the creatures were great they're great company anybody that's ever had a pet will understand what it's like to have an animal and they can be great company but it's not quite the same you know uh, unfortunately our cats have now gone they've, they've all been put down they've got old and that's it they've gone you know but but particularly with monty my cat when he was here you know i, I used to love just chatting to him you know, I'd get up in the morning, I'd make a cup of tea, and we'd have a chat together, and he'd just look at me. And truthfully, he probably didn't understand a word I said, but, you know, there was something nice about that kind of conversation. And I'm sure any of you that have had any pets understand that kind of relationship you can have with an animal. But Monty never gave me any advice. He never gave me any counsel. He never said to me, I don't really think you should do that, or I think you should do this. You know, he, he wasn't a companion that was able to give me that support that really kind of I was looking for. So this is the situation Adam's in. So God causes, verse 21 of Genesis 2, a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. And he slept and took one of his ribs, his own body, his own DNA, okay, and closed up the flesh thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man uh, made he a woman and brought her unto man. So just reiterating the point I made a minute ago, that when man was created, he was male and female in one. What Genesis 1 is referring to is God's creation of this perfect being, complete male, complete female. When we get to Genesis 2, we then find that God takes from Adam the female element of the being that he was. Okay, and the rib which the Lord God taken from man, he uh, made a woman, and brought her to man. He is the same substance. The woman was the same substance as man. The same DNA, as I said. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bone, a flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. And people have often said, you know, that he just looked at Eve and went, whoa, man. He was just so blown away, so amazed with this creation, unlike anything else that God had created. That this, I mean, she was the most beautiful woman in the world. I mean, she was the only woman in the world, but the most beautiful woman in the world. Uh, Adam was just so enraptured with this incredible being this creation that god had made and it verse concludes says because she was taken out of man and then we have this really important verse verse 24 of genesis 2 therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave now that word cleave uh if you remember way back when we uh um 
have the privilege of, of joining Lekin and Yana together in marriage. We talked about this word at the time. This word cleaving has two ideas. It has the idea of breaking apart, but then of joining together. And that's exactly what happens when a couple get married. They break apart from the ties, the relationships they previously had, typically with their parents. And they are joined together in one. And so the verse says that a man should cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. So what God does through the union of marriage is bring back together in one this being that originally was one and then the male part the female part come back together so the female then becomes this this co-respondent we are different all right so all the the attempts to try and uh, talk about equality and make women equal to men you know it's a nonsense because we are not equal in the sense that we are different you know, it would be just as foolish for a man to try and become uh, or, or aspire to be that which a woman is, because scripture, scriptures define the fact that we are different, that God has made us different. And until we come together in marriage and are brought back together, there are these two different parts. And we are, uh, as is that word again, that kind of correspondence. You know, a man may say north, the wife may say south, the man may say, you know, stop, the wife may say go, you know, uh, the wife may say, you know, let's ask for directions, the man's going to say, no, let's just keep driving and, and let's hope we'll be all right. Um, you know, a situation uh, many years ago with Joy and I, I said, you know, let's keep going. I'm sure down the end of this long, long cycle road that we were going on, there's going to be an ice cream hut. And Joy was very sceptical. We got there and guess what? There was a cycle, uh, uh, ice cream hut, but it had been closed for about 10 years by the time we got there. It was open when I was a kid, but, uh, you know, look, God has given us these different elements. Uh, and a man compliments a woman and a woman compliments a man. We are not in any way superior to each other. We are together in this relationship. The woman was as much part of the man as the man was part of the man. They were part of this union together. And God, of course, then sets up this whole plan of marriage. So, as I said, this uh, opening statement to be in subjection, it's actually a command. This is how God is saying the order should be. Shalom is to put it this way. The command does not require women to be subordinate to men in general, but to their husbands as a function of order within the home. Now, that's a really important point because scripture in no place says that a woman is less than or less important than or subservient to men in general. But in the home, in this uh, this order, then this is the way God says in his word that it should be. David Guzik put it this way. He said, the godly wife will be submissive to her husband. This submission isn't a reward for the husband's good behavior. As the proper order of the home, God commands it. All right, let me just read that again, because that's so important. The, the godly wife will be submissive to her husband. This submission isn't a reward for the husband's good behavior. Truthfully, very often the husband's behavior is not all that good as any wives will be able to testify. And so the idea of being submissive isn't, well, I'll be submissive if you're really good, if you're a really good husband. No, no, this is what God commands because this is his order. Okay. Wayne Grudem, a really good uh, theologian, uh, Bible commentator, makes this comment. He says, a submission to authority can be totally consistent with equality in importance, dignity and honor. Jesus was subject to both his parents and to God the Father but was not lower than either of them. 
Thus, the command to wives to be subject to their husbands should never be taken to imply inferior personhood or spirituality or lesser importance. And all the wives at this point say, Amen. But it's true. This is the way that the scripture reveals this relationship. Let me take you to another portion of scripture that is vitally important in understanding this subject. If you've got your Bibles, please turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 11. Okay, now this is a fundamentally misunderstood portion of scripture. So we're going to go through this. I'm going to take you through. We'll have a look at it and we'll build from here. So in um, 1 Corinthians 11, Paul says this, be you followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. A great statement there. Paul saying, look at my lifestyle and follow me. I mean, how many of us would dare to say to a new believer, look at my lifestyle, follow me, do what I do. Truthfully, we should all be able to say that, but it's a challenge to us. But then, uh, now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the ordinances as, as I delivered them to you. That's his introduction. Then he gets to this point, verse three. Now, this is the really important part. Paul gives us a key or a code. Okay. But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ and the head of the woman is the man and the head of Christ is God. Let's just pause and think about what Paul is saying here. Firstly, he's given us an order and a structure. He's placing at the top of that list, God, the father. Then he's placing Jesus Christ, then he's placing the man, and then he's placing the woman. Now, let me just ask you a very quick question. Is Jesus any less than God? No, because Jesus is God. Jesus is the same nature and substance of God. He's not less than God. But for the sake of the order, Jesus was willing to submit himself to his father. In the same way, is the woman any less than man? No. Because the woman is of the same substance as the man. Right back to Genesis, as we've seen already, the woman was taken out of the man. But for the sake of the order, the woman is to submit to her husband, just as Jesus submits to the father. Now, this is our code. This is our key. Now, let's go through these verses, because it's really helpful to just understand this kind of context. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonors his head. Now, just taken alone as a verse, that, that could be a little bit confusing. What is Paul actually speaking about? Well, we don't have to guess because he's already told us. He makes it really clear in verse 3. Let me go back. I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ. Okay, so the, the head of man is Christ. The head of woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. So we've got these heads that are mentioned, and we're told where the authority structure is. So let's read verse 4 again in that context. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered dishonors his head if a man has authority over him other than jesus christ it is dishonoring to jesus christ because the only authority that should be above a man is that of jesus christ the head of man is jesus not to be any other person, not to be his wife. And if you have a situation where the wife, and we use the vernacular, wears the trousers, it's dishonoring to Christ. The wife needs to understand the place within the order that God has ordained here. Verse 5 says, Every woman that prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. Speaking of these coverings again, speaking of authority. So if a woman is in a place where she doesn't recognize or doesn't have that authority over her, it's dishonoring to her husband. 
So if a woman is usurping her husband's authority, it's dishonouring to her husband, and ultimately, therefore, dishonouring to Christ. And Paul says, for that is even as uh, even uh, all as uh, if she were shaven. In other words, as if she had no hair at all. Now, in that context, a lady with shaven hair would typically be. Uh, maybe we would put a lady of the night, uh, a prostitute, somebody who would um, sell themselves. And, and so he's saying it's as if somebody is dishonoring as it would be to somebody who doesn't have any authority over them. Verse six carries on. For if the woman be not covered, let her also be shorn. But if it be a shame for a woman to be shorn or shaven, let her be covered. Paul's just reiterating the same point that a woman should have that authority over her. Now, for a young lady who still is at home with her parents, a girl, she's under the authority of her father until the time that she leaves her father and mother, joined to her husband, and then the authority shifts from being that of her father to that of her husband. And what Paul is saying here, just reiterating for all the things we find through scripture, that a woman should have that authority in place. Okay, verse seven. For if a man indeed ought not to, sorry, for a man indeed ought not to cover his head. So a man shouldn't have authority over him other than that which is told here, uh, for as much as he is the image and glory of God. Okay, so because man was made in the, the image and the likeness of God before the woman part was taken out, this is what Paul is saying that a man mustn't have any covering because just as God doesn't have any authority over him, so the man mustn't have any authority over him other than, as has already been said, uh, Jesus Christ. Uh, it says, uh, but the woman is the glory of the man. And verse 8, for the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. So just the order being reiterated just goes back to the way things were in creation. Um, and then verse 9, neither was man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. So we need to understand the order in which this has been created. It goes all the way back to Genesis. Verse 10. Um, for this cause ought the woman to have power, or if you like, authority or a covering on her head because of the angels. Now that's a strange verse there and then. But maybe it's not so strange when you think back to Genesis 6. When you think of that which occurred prior to the flood. When the angels who sinned came and took the women of the earth of whomever they chose and they took them as wives, it implies that those women didn't have authority or covering over them at the time. And maybe that's why we have this reference here, that actually there's a spiritual issue here uh, beyond that which we maybe would perceive. Verse 11, nevertheless, neither is uh, the man without the woman, neither is the woman without the man in the Lord. What a clear statement of equality. I mean, the world strives for this because, it, you know, it tries to mix up these roles. Women try to become men, men try to become women. It just doesn't work. What it's saying here, verse um, um, uh, 11 again, nevertheless, neither is the man without the woman. I mean, where would men be without women? I mean, one commentator once said we'd still be in the garden, you know, but uh, you know, that's not, of course, the case because we are all guilty of sin. And if Adam had, if, if Eve hadn't have taken of that fruit, I'm sure it wouldn't have been long before Adam had got there anyway. All right. So nevertheless, neither is the woman without the man, neither the uh, woman, sorry, the man without the woman, neither the woman without the man in the Lord. So in Christ, in the Lord, we're all one. And actually, we're told in Scripture that in Christ there is no bond or free, Jew or Gentile, male or free female. So we are all one. There is no pecking order in Christ. This is talking about the order within the home. Okay, this is the this is God's standard. 
And then it goes on and says, verse 12, for as the woman is of the man, even so the man uh, also by the woman, but all things are of God. It just speaks of, of course, that, you know, if it wasn't for women, we wouldn't have children. You know, this this whole process. Uh, but then if it wasn't for men, we wouldn't have children. The whole thing, we are together in this. Now, then we get some verses that people, again, just misapply. Judging yourselves, is it comely that a woman prays unto God uncovered? Now, Many, many have gone down the route of saying, therefore, women should always wear head coverings in church. Now, I've got no problem with women that want to wear head coverings, but don't do it out of a sense of legalism. Don't do it out of a sense of you think that it makes you right with God, because that's not what it does at all. Okay, this is already in a section that's speaking about coverings, that which we put on our head. And it's saying if a woman is praying or prophesying to God without a covering, We've already been told what the woman's covering should be. It should be her husband. If she doesn't have the authority of her husband over her, then it's saying, it, it, well, the rhetorical question, is it comely, is it good that a woman prays to God without having that covering over her? And then we have verse 14, which again, many have misunderstood. Does not even nature itself teach you that if a man have long hair, it is a shame unto him. Now, Paul using some cultural things here, but basically, many have gone and say, therefore, you know, it, it, it's absolutely wrong for, for men to have long hair. Uh, well, is that true? Well, I'd argue not on scriptural grounds. Now, I did as when I was younger and I was playing in uh, various bands I was in. I did have long hair and people challenged me on this a number of times. And they said, oh, you know, it, it's wrong. The Bible says that, you know, it, it, nature teaches you that it, it's wrong for a man to have long hair. Well, no, this is in the context of head coverings. And of course, the hair in this context is speaking of a covering. It goes back to what we've already said, that a man shouldn't have any covering over him because we should only be in that position, like uh, as God has no covering over himself. So man, only the only covering over man should be Christ. So this is still talking about head coverings. It's not just talking about the length of your hair. And let me just give you some scriptural uh, examples of this. OK, we have in scripture the law of the Nazarites. Now, that was a law, that was a rule uh, that instructed if individuals wanted to separate themselves to God for a period of time, they were to let their hair grow for the duration of that vow. Now, I'm pretty confident that some of those ended up with hair getting reasonably long. We know for a fact that we have one individual in the Old Testament who God blessed, who anointed with his Holy Spirit, who had really long hair. And that, was, of course, was Samson. In fact, it was when that covering was removed, when his hair was taken off, symbolic of that, that covering, spiritual covering uh, being removed, that his covering should have been God himself. When that covering was removed, that's when the spirit leaves him. That's when he loses his strength. And when is it he regains his strength? When that covering returns. Okay, you see the implication of this. Absalom also, we know, had long hair. It's not spoken of in scripture as being a bad thing. It's spoken of actually as being his glory. It was a, it was something that was looked, he was looked up to because of this wonderful long hair that he got. Apparently he used to only cut it once a year and that was only because he got so long and got so heavy. All right. So it's not speaking about wearing hats. It's not speaking about men having long hair. It's speaking about authority, the whole chapter. And we're given the code back in verse three. Let me just read the last couple of verses of this section. Uh, but if a woman have long hair, it is a glory to her. If a woman has that covering over her, it is a glory to her. For her hair is given for a covering. 
just using some some natural some some um, cultural examples to illustrate this point um, and then Paul goes on and says but if any man seems to be contentious we have no such custom neither the churches of God and really just kind of look, don't get hung up about wearing hats don't get hung up about uh, men having different lengths of hair that's not the point the point here is authority okay so let's go back to to where we were in the book of Peter So just let me read uh, again that quote from Wayne Grudem. Submission to authority can be totally consistent with equality and importance, dignity and honour. Jesus was subject to both his parents and to God the Father, but was not lower than either of them. Thus, the command to wives to be subject to their husbands should never be taken to imply inferior personhood or spirituality or lesser importance. Okay, so this is about the order typically within the home. Now, Chuck Miser again makes his comment. He said, a wife is to accept her place in the family under the leadership of her husband, whom God has placed as head in the home. Wives are to be submissive, even if their husbands are unbelievers. So those men might be saved by the behavior of their wives. Okay, so very, very clear instruction. Then we go on. Um, It says, while they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear. I kind of like this verse just because of the, just the, the implication here. That word behold, uh, incidentally, we only have it twice used in the New Testament, and both of them are used by Peter. Uh, the previous time it's used in the previous chapter, speaking about the way the world will behold our conduct when we are showing submission, and they will recognize that God is at work here. Okay, so typically, in our relationships with um, the the world, in a kind of an employment employee setting, you know, everybody these days is out to to, to be you know justified and you know, seem to be. You know, and God is saying, you know, don't fight for that. Don't don't look to be justified yourself. Um, you know, and this idea here is the same uh, context that Peter's already used. Verse twelve in chapter two is where we see it before. It says, "Having your conversation, this is to all of us, uh, honest among the Gentiles or the unbelievers in the context, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they shall behold." Okay, so that's the same use of the the Greek word. It's the same only twice as used, but it implies they will look inquisitively upon. It's almost like it's an unusual response, and therefore they're going to recognize, well, actually, why didn't you try and fight for what you deserve? Why did you allow him just to say that or to do that? And, of course, the, in an employee-employer setting, that becomes a great opportunity to witness. The world will look on, and they'll behold. They'll be going, well, that's interesting. That wasn't what I was expecting. That's norm- not normally what we see. In the same way, by a wife that understands her role within the family, understands that which God has stated as the uh, the perimeters, the boundaries, that others will look on and they will recognize. They will behold, this is speaking typically of husbands, the husbands will behold, they will look on, they'll be surprised at your conversation, the lifestyle, coupled with fear. Now, that fear doesn't uh, have the, the idea of being terrified. It's simply showing that respect. Now, men like being respected okay it's it's very simple now that's not to say of course that women don't but just just for one second a wife that shows respect to her husband will get a very different response from that husband 
than a wife that doesn't show respect to her husband. And this is really what scripture is trying to imply. Okay, it's reverence, you know, that is the powerful purity of a godly woman's life can soften even the stoniest male heart without a word. All right, and I mean, Titus 2.5 gives us an indication of that. We, we go on. And we start to, to get this picture broadened a little bit by Peter. Uh, and he's speaking again of these godly wives. He said, who's adorning? Now, that's a really interesting word. We'll come to that in a second. Let it not be that outward adorning of plating the hair and of wearing of gold or of putting on of apparel. All right. So it's saying, don't let the, your, your, um, uh, how do we, what's the best way of expressing this? Uh, don't let the way you present yourself be purely outward. Don't let it be just purely the way you do your makeup or your hair or the clothes you wear. This is exactly what this verse is telling us. Now, it's interesting here because this word adorning comes from the Greek word cosmos. Now, cosmos is actually where we get the word in English cosmetics. Okay, and it literally means to bring order out of chaos. I find that quite amusing. Um, you know, uh, that's what cosmetics are intended to do, to try and bring order out of chaos. But this is what uh, Peter's saying here. Who's uh, who's adorning, who's um, uh, putting on of these things, uh, the way we present ourselves to other people, let it not be that outward adorning. Now, we live in a world that is so full of uh, miscommunication or misinformation in regard to the way you should look the way you should present yourself. And so much harm is done, and particularly to young people and to young girls uh, particularly. And of course, this is close to my heart, having four daughters. I'm going to see them go through this as they grow up. And there's that expectation of how they should look, what they should wear, how they should present themselves. Now, what Peter's going to go on to say is that that's not the important thing. The important thing is what is on the inside. I mean, they say that beauty is only skin deep. And I think it was uh, Chuck... Smith that used to say, you know, even an old barn can look good with a fresh coat of paint. You know, you, you can make the outside look good. But what Peter's saying is the inside is that which really matters. And don't get drawn into the worldly way of trying to present yourself. And that doesn't mean don't take care of yourself. It doesn't mean don't try and make yourself look good. And for every husband, they want a wife that looks good. Nobody wants a wife that doesn't put any effort into her appearance whatsoever. All right. So it's not saying don't put any effort into that, but it's getting the priority right that we have to have. Or the ladies, the most important thing for wives is to have this adorning be that of the heart. That is the inward bit. OK, uh, again, you know, the, the verse that Yana shared this morning, uh, you know, about where our treasure is. You know, I've over the years had a number of people that have made comments uh, at different times. Uh, you know, they've looked at, you know, men often looked at a lady and say, well, look, she's really nice. Uh, I've often responded, how do you know? You know, just looking at the outward, you have no idea what that person is like. Uh, and I'm sure we're all uh, familiar and we all know people that outwardly they may look nice. But what are they like inwardly? I've known some people that are, are very beautiful from a kind of a worldly perspective, but inwardly they're really nasty people. 
So beauty is not that which is put on with makeup or clothes. Beauty is that which is in the heart. And of course, uh, the go-to verse for, for ladies is Proverbs 31 or the go-to chapter. You know, it speaks about that inner beauty, something that's so much deeper, something that's not going to fade with years, something that's not going to uh, get to a place of, uh, of losing its appeal. You know, this is something that is eternal, that treasure that is put in heaven as well. So this verse carries on, verse 4 now. But let it be the hidden man. Now, of course, the ma- word man there is used as mankind. So we have one man and, and man. So, yeah, so let it be the, the hidden person in the heart, okay, which is not corruptible. You know, now, just a context here. At the time that Peter's writing this in the Roman Empire, history tells us that the wives and the women were very uh, keen to braid their hair with all sorts of gold and jewels and stones and makeup and all sorts of different things. You know, to the extent that they would have these really big, I guess, Marge Simpson type hairdos that, you know, were just just so ornate that apparently some of them even wouldn't sleep laying down they try to sleep sat, sat up so they didn't disturb their hair because it took them so long to look this way now again they were giving in to the um expectations of the age just as today we have social media we have advertising hoardings everywhere you go telling us what we should look like uh and again you know particularly for young girls you know we need as as uh, christian uh parents as a congregation, you know, to encourage our young people, and particularly the young girls, not to be swayed or worried about what the world says of how they should look. You know, the real beauty is in the heart, despite all the um, insidious stuff that comes through today, social media. I mean, you know, when probably many of us were growing up, there were challenges, there was expectations, but probably not like there is today with social media and the way so many lives can be wrecked and destroyed. Um, I don't uh, follow these things too closely, but some of you will be very familiar. There was a little while ago, um, some female celebrity ended up taking her life um, because of all the comments that have been made on social media regarding uh, her appearance and so on. And we hear many, many uh, accounts of these things. You know, we need to be so careful that our young people don't grow up uh, with that kind of mindset. Um, let me just read this verse again so get back on track uh, but let it be the hidden man hidden person of the heart in that which is not corruptible even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit oh no those things are priceless those are beauty which is in the sight of God a great price let me just challenge you to go and find in scripture something else that you find that God says is of a great price to him this is something that we are told that a, a wife particularly who has a meek and quiet spirit that doesn't look to parade herself or to, you know, uh, look impressive to other people. You know, that, that meek and quiet spirit in the sight of God is a great price. Surely that's something to strive for, to obtain. Again, so scripture doesn't forbid a measure of adornment of the person, but rather discourage dependence upon this to make one pleasing and attractive. Uh, another uh, comment I read was a, a, a slatternly or slovenly person only repels, but one may be tastefully attired and immaculately groomed and yet spoil everything by haughty spirit or bad temper. So again, the hidden person it really just speaks of the real person that you are inside. And in verse five, for after this manner, now Peter's going to give us some Old Testament examples as to why this is the way we should be. Why for, for wives, this is how you should be. For after this manner, 
In the old time, the holy women, notice that he uses that phrase, holy women, women that are set apart for God, also who trusted in God. They didn't have a point to prove. They trusted God, adorned themselves, being in subjection unto their own husbands. Now, it's interesting, the example that we're going to get. Now, firstly, this is a comment on the role of husbands and wives and not men and women in general. So this is speaking about the why, how wives should be to their husbands, uh, not again, just how women should be in regard to all men. And the example that we're going to get now is from uh, the situation, the relationship between Abraham and Sarah. So it says, even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, she's showing him respect and it says, whose daughters you are, as long as you do well, and are not afraid with any amazement. We need to understand that Abraham was no perfect individual. I mean, in fact, you get that situation when they went down to Egypt. And he's kind of worried for his own skin, effectively, and says to Sarah, who was his half-sister in a sense as well, it's true. But he says, oh, when we get there, pretend you're my sister, because otherwise, because you're so beautiful, they might try and kill me so they can get hold of you. Well, that causes all sorts of problems. It ends up with Sarah being brought into the harem of Pharaoh. Now, fortunately, because intervention, Pharaoh doesn't touch her. Nothing happens, you know, but it was a, it was a mistake on Abraham's part. He should have trusted God. But you know what? Sarah didn't rebuke him. She didn't kick off. I'm not going to do that. Why should I do that? She shows respect to him. All right. And this is the point that's being made. Goes back to right at the beginning of the chapter. Likewise, you wives, in the same way that we are to submit to authorities, the way same way to submit to employers, even if they're not always good employers. You know, we're to show that dignity, that respect. And through that, God will be glorified and it will be a great witness. And so wives also we are given this example. Now, again, she accompanied Abraham, as we said, back in Genesis 20, just to mention that. But that word amazement. Um, it's protesis in the, the Greek, and it just means uh, to be afraid of uh, with terror. All right. Uh, th that's the uh, the idea. It's only used here in the New Testament. We have a similar use back in Genesis uh, 18. Um, um, and it says that, you know, whose daughters you are following Sarah's example, as long as you do uh, do well and are not afraid with any terror. You shouldn't be terror uh, terrorized by this. It shouldn't be a bad thing to you. It shouldn't be something you're frightened of. It's a good thing. It's pleasing to God. It's honoring to God. Now, that's the, the ladies. You've got six verses to, to chew over, to think through these things about how you are to conduct yourself. That actually the real key is that beauty that's in the heart. Okay. And that we're to have this order for God's glory, for his purpose, because God understands how the family unit should work. And ultimately, all of that is a, a, a model a marriage, particularly of Christ in the church. So now we get the one verse the husbands get. So for men, now this is where you need to pay attention. We only get one. Again, we can't handle too much as men because it gets too confusing for us. This is all we're told. Likewise, all right, now again, we have the same word, likewise. So just as we have seen already these relationships that have been described, you husbands dwell with them according to knowledge. Well, that's a bit of a challenge for men to start with. It means we've got to do a bit of thinking. We've got to think about the position. And the moment we start thinking, we should become immediately aware of the position that we have been given the responsibility that we have been given you know it's what paul says in uh, ephesians chapter 5 about how men should treat their wives and they are to love their wives as christ loved the church how did christ love the church 
he entered into our world and he died there. How are men to love their wives? They're to do the same thing. They are effectively to give their lives for their wives. It's a big challenge for men because we are so prone to following our own dreams, ideals, and whatever we want. But this is instruction that we are to do that which we do with knowledge. We need to understand this. We need to get our heads around it. And then we're told giving honor. Notice that expression, giving honor. You know, that doesn't mean we put wives down. It doesn't mean that we have some view of ourselves that we're better than they are. They're part of us. We were originally with Adam and Eve, they were one flesh. Adam was one unit and the woman part again taken out of man, giving honor unto the wife. And it says as unto the weaker vessel. The idea, imagine a really expensive vase, or vase if you prefer, however you wish to say that word. That you would, you know, use to put some really beautiful flowers in or whatever. You, you don't put it in some place out of the way. It's put in a place of authority or position in, in the home or on a mantelpiece or somewhere it can be seen. You know, it, it, it's promoted. And that's exactly how men should be towards their wives. Men should not put their wives down. Now, uh, hey, look, I have to put my hand up because I'm guilty of that. You know, I don't, I don't hopefully do it a lot, but I do it and I, pretty much sure that all men do the same thing that at times you put your wives down and you do it sometimes without even thinking and one of the reasons is because just as wives particularly with their appearance are so swayed by social media and what other people do and all the blogs and everything that's out there so men are swayed by the worldly way of looking at women and the worldly way of uh, thinking about a woman and a woman's role and so on and this is what again I, I say you know, all, all the way the world tries to portray relationships and so on actually undermines both a woman's position and a man's position. The scripture is very clear that we are to uh, give honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel. It, it's not implying inferior. What it's implying is something that needs to be tended and looked after and cared for and nurtured. And it says, as being, and this, this should be the key that, that makes it so obvious, as being heirs together. All right? Men don't get to inherit and then we just bring our wives along, you know, out of the goodness of our hearts. We are heirs together. They are equally, wives are equally entitled to this inheritance that we have in Christ and all that is yet to come. Okay? Now, it says that we're heirs together of the grace of life now, let me just look at this last verse for a second, that your prayers be not hindered. Now, remember what we said earlier on in our service today about not allowing anything in our hearts, none of that uh, Babylonian garment under our tent stuff with Achan. You know, we've got to get rid of all that stuff in our lives. We haven't got the time to play around. There are people whose eternity literally depends upon our life, the way we conduct it before God, that when we pray, God hears our prayers. Psalm 66, 18, if they regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. We cannot afford to regard any iniquity. And that doesn't just mean me as the pastor or just the elders. It means the whole congregation. We are one body. And when one part is affected, the whole is affected. Achan wasn't some great leader in, in, in the nation of Israel. He wasn't somebody in some position of great authority. He was just some you know, average Joe, if you like. He didn't have any particular status. And I'm sure that Achan thought, ah, oh, this isn't going to, nobody's going to say, it's not going to hurt anybody, is it? And so he takes the garment, takes the stuff, hides it under his tent. Do you know people died? 36 men died because of his actions. 
36 needless lives lost because he took something, because he didn't obey God. You know, and again, the admonition to all of us is that we don't tolerate sin in our lives, not just for our own walk and relationship with the Lord, that should be enough, but because other lives are dependent on this. And as a congregation, as we pray, we need to see these people brought into a relationship with Jesus Christ before it's too late. Now, again, that's one thing. Let's get back onto this. So it's saying that this relationship the husbands and notice where this this fits it doesn't fit in the wives six verses it's the one verse for the men that we are told that if we do not lift up our wives if we do not support and encourage them if we do not bless them let them know how important they are then our our prayers are going to be hindered that that means that our prayers for our children our prayers for our family our prayers for our daily routines our lives our job our work our careers our aspirations whatever we pray for our prayers for unsaved loved ones are going to be hindered if we don't get this right how interesting that god lays this upon our heart right now at, at the time we are with the fellowship the things we're going through with the challenges that we are facing you know, with the people that we are praying for, the Lord is bringing to our attention something that we need to make sure we get sorted out. And firstly, as a congregation, it's making sure there is no sin hidden under our tent. That came out last week very clearly. Yeah, this here is saying that we've got to have that right relationship, that wives have got to show that that respect to their husbands. They've got to be willing to to take that place, to to lift their husbands up, to submit to their husbands. Again, that, that, that doesn't mean that in any way they're inferior to. Please understand this. You know, as it says here again, that we are heirs together. We are both joint. We are in the same status. But we have different roles. We have different responsibilities. You know, I heard somebody say many years ago something that has really stuck with me. And I think it's so helpful. And it's that God gave Adam the position but he gave Eve the influence. And influence can sometimes be so much more powerful than position. You, you know, in our relationship with Joy and myself, I know scripturally that I have the position to make a decision on behalf of the family. And I know that as a godly wife, that Joy will go along with the decision I make, whether sometimes she agrees with it or not. And there have been occasions where we've had things with the children where I said, no, I think this is what we should do or how we should deal with it or whatever. And Joy will will submit. She'll go along with what I said, whether she always agrees with it, but she shows me that respect. But I understand that the woman has that role of the influence. And, you know, more often than not, before I make any decision, I will go to my wife and I will ask her what she thinks. I will often ask her effectively to make the decision that she feels is the right decision. And then I ratify, I agree it. Uh, and I think it's, a, it's a, an important thing for us to understand, again, that men have that position, that God has given us that position within the family. But wives, you have influence. You have influence over your husbands and you need to understand how powerful that is. And if you don't use that in a godly way, in a constructive way, how dangerous and how damaging it can be to your relationships. We need to work together in this joint venture that God has called us into. But let me say again, just how important influence is. Just think back, we mentioned earlier, uh, Samson. But just think of the influence of Delilah on Samson. You know, how she was able to bring his life crashing down because she used that influence in a negative way. You know, the Philistines had tried for years to try and bring Samson down. But Delilah's influence 
was so powerful that although Samson had the position, her influence was able to usurp him and bring him down and obviously cause the, the catastrophe in his life that, that then ensued. You know, that again, that influence is so vitally important and wives, you need to pray for wisdom that God gives you uh, clear instruction and guidance as to how you are to use that influence within your marriage. Husbands, you need to recognize that you need to go to your wives because God has created us as these two parts. Originally, we were all one, but now we've got these two parts. And husbands, you need to go to your wives. You need to seek their counsel. You need to ask their advice and their wisdom. You know, I'm sure I've told you this many a time before, but there was a, a time many, many years ago when Joy and I were praying about our future, our ministry, and the Lord had opened up the opportunity for me to start a fellowship, Calvary Chapel Paul, down in Dorset. Now, we have an affinity with the area. My dad was born down in Parkston in Paul. Um, and we, when the opportunity came up, it just seemed so obvious that this was where God was going to lead us. And I was just like, oh, Lord, this is fantastic. I mean, it, it, it was, you know, I, I guess pastor of Calvary Chapel Hawaii is quite a sought after role. But, you know, sort of that in the UK, Paul Dorset is such a lovely place. Anybody that's been there, you know, it's just a, it's great. It's a lovely environment and you know, so on. And and I really thought that was where the Lord was going to lead us. Now, for three years, I was ministering. I was teaching a congregation down there. And it was a great blessing. And I kept praying, Lord, then you know, open up the door. Let us move. And every time I spoke to Joy about it, she was like, no, I'm not sure. You know, we went for walks and we talked it through and we prayed together. And she was always like, no, I, I don't think it's right. I don't think we should move. And I even stupidly said, yeah, well, why don't we just sell the house? We'll buy a caravan. We'll go and live on a campsite for a bit until we can find a house or whatever. And Joy quite rightly said, no, that's not going to work. We have children. We can't do that. You know, and, and I was thinking, oh, Lord, why, why can't you sort this woman out? You know, you've given it to me. You know, you, you've brought us into this, this kind of situation where we've got this opportunity for ministry. Why is it that she won't understand that this is what you want? Well, it went on, it went on, it went on. And guess what? It wasn't the right thing. I, I was I was enthusiastic. I wanted to go. You know, we prayed about it. Uh, we were up at a pastor's conference up in York and we sought the Lord and said, Lord, is this of you? And you know what? After that time of prayer, I, I knew that it wasn't the right thing to move to Paul. And I didn't know why. It just seemed so strange because the Lord had opened up this door for ministry where the church was growing. It was kind of 30 plus people coming along. You know, we started with just, just one couple, you know, and it was, it seemed so obvious. But as we prayed, it was no. And I didn't know why. And there was one Sunday morning. We were driving down to Calvary Chapel, Portsmouth. Uh, Ron, the previous pastor, had asked me to come down and teach one morning when he was away. And we were just chatting about it in the car. And I'm not sure whether it was myself that said it or whether Joyce said it. But we kind of both agreed that, you know, well, you know, if the Lord called us to Portsmouth, you know, we'd go without hesitation. You know, we love the fellowship here. We love, you know, the, a number of the saints. And some of you are still part of the congregation. You know those days when we were coming down. You know, and we just... We just felt, you know, well, if, if, if the Lord asked us to Portsmouth, yeah, we, we, we jump at it. You know, that, we knew that would be right. But there wasn't any opportunity. And at the time, nobody thought that Ron would ever leave. He'd been here for, you know, 20 or so years and had built the fellowship up, up. And it was, you know, there was no, there was no need for us to be here. So it just didn't make any sense. Any, uh, well, guess what? You know, a short time after that, one Saturday evening, I had a phone call from Ron to say, by the way, I'm leaving the UK. At the moment, as I say a phone call, it was an email. I spoke to him afterwards, but he had an email to say he was leaving. And I called Joy over and in an instant, 
we knew that that was the calling, the Lord was calling us here. You know, my point in all of this is that I learned to listen to my wife. Now, there was something that Joy posted on Facebook a little while ago, and I made some comment about my wife being right, and she thought it was such a great thing that she posted and shared. But you know what? Very often wives are right. It doesn't mean always, but very often wives are right. And husbands, you need to learn to listen to your wives. Again, they have that position of influence. The ladies understand that influence is such an important thing. Ladies also understand that men have the position. Men understand that you have the position. You know, this is the, the beautiful relationship that God has established that we're called into. Let's leave it there for this week. Uh, we'll pick up uh, next week. We kind of move on um, to speaking about the way we are all to one another in this thing. I hope those things have been encouraging to you. I hope there being, uh, there's a, some clarification there. You know, let me just say again that we are all equal in God's sight, but we have been given different roles and responsibilities and we are called to fulfill them for his glory. And so that other people will see other people will be saved. And isn't that what we want to see? We want to see lives change for the glory of God. Let's bow our hearts. Father, we thank you for this time this morning, Lord, and for these verses that, that in some senses are challenging to each of us, Lord, the 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 role that you call wives to is not necessarily an easy role and particularly if husbands are not walking with you lord if husbands maybe know the truth but don't live it out maybe husbands don't show that respect to their wives and yet lord you are calling wives to show that respect to their husbands but lord at the same time you're calling husbands to love their wives as you love the church you're calling lord husbands to lift up their wives to to praise them, to exalt them, to place them in that position of honor. Father, when we say our wedding vows, Lord, you call us to commit our lives to each other. And Father, we, we pray, Lord, we, we declare that we're going to love each other in, for sickness, in sickness and in health, for better or for worse. Lord, help us to truly understand the import of those commitments that we make to each other. Father, we pray this morning for every marriage in this fellowship, that you hold it together through your spirit, through the ministry of your spirit working in our lives, that wives would be godly wives, using their influence for your glory, that husbands would be godly husbands, Lord, being the head of their homes for your honor. Father, we thank you for these things, Lord. Help us to grow together. And Father, we pray too this morning for those that are not yet married in our congregation. We pray for the, the youth, for the, the young people that are stepping out into uh, a world that is so hostile, Lord, that is so full of uh, misinformation and lies and deceit. Lord, guard their hearts and minds, we pray. And Lord, for those that are single, give them the strength, Lord, in this time. Father, that you would provide, Lord, if it be your will, godly husbands, godly wives, your appointed time. Lord, together, may we continue growing in knowledge and grace. We ask it all in Jesus' name this morning. Amen.